So here we are in a circle. I'm kind of talking a bit about concentric circles of, um, of relationship, concentric circles of love, concentric circles of discipleship. <coughs> and you know, buildings, kind of shape of things, speak to us. Sometimes the message is subtle, sometimes it's more overt. When we sit in rows, looking at the back of each other's heads, towards a stage, listening to one person primarily speak, it communicates something. It's the predominant shape of church for many, not all. But it's not really a New Testament picture of church, and it's certainly not a picture of family life. Who of you sits in rows looking at the back of each other's heads at home? Come on, be honest. Does dad get up on his pedestal behind his pulpit and proclaim the truth? Rarely. We tend to use this environment more, don't we? Sometimes. So actually, sitting in a round where we recognize that we belong to one another and we need one another and we invite contribution from one another is actually a, a more healthy and accurate picture. And when we put at the center, not the priest or the pulpit necessarily, um, but or the person behind it, because really church doesn't revolve around me. If it does, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> serious, serious trouble. I know one of you, one or two of you think I'm a nice guy, but really, no. The real nice guy is the one we just sung about. It's Jesus, who's the head of the church and who is our life through his spirit. And so actually when we sit around a table uh, that represents him, that's a more accurate picture. Our life needs to flow from him, not me. And through, from him, through one another, not just me. And not just a band. This is actually the concert thing. This is the personality setup. This is the prevalent one in our Western culture. Is we love personalities, uh, and we love to watch people perform. We'll be tired as if that's what we are as church, though. And uh, I say that as one who's participated in this for many years in my life. Uh, so some of this is provoking us and I think inviting the Spirit to speak to us and in many ways maybe get us outside the box. I know some of you are already a little disturbed. We just sang that the Lord has made us a kingdom of priests. So that means, well, we've already established that you're all saints. Remember that one? You're the holy ones. Why? Because you've got your act together? No, because of him. He's the Holy One, and if you're in Him, you are holy with Him, righteous. So we're the saints. We've established that we are um, ministers. Remember, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Ministry is a servant. We're called to model the example of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And a minister literally means a servant. And we are all gifted, so we're all called to serve in lots of arenas. We also established that you're all missionaries. It's getting exciting, isn't it? Who's a missionary? Put your hands up. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the life of Jesus is to be replicated in his disciples. Now, if you've got a bunch of people who don't think they're missionaries, basically we've got a bunch of people who aren't disciples. Oh, well, that may be an issue. More of that later. Now, we also sang that we're a kingdom priest, so who's a priest? <laughs> I know that one's even harder, isn't it? You don't have to turn your collar around. 
But we're a kingdom of priests. We're not priests individual. As a people, we're a priestly people. And uh, because of the great high priest, because of Jesus. You see, this is all about Jesus. We're in him. And therefore, everything he did and does, we're to replicate as his representative, as one with him, in fact. The thing is, well, if we're all missionaries, what's the mission? Where's the mission? That's a good thing to ponder. Jesus says, you will, be my, you will be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you receive power. You will be my witnesses, martyros in the Greek, from which we get the word martyr. So to be a witness is akin to being a martyr. Who wants to be a witness? <laughs> Please line up. But you know, that's the invitation. Because he who loses his life will find life. But if you seek to keep your life, you will lose it, Jesus said. You are to be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I'm seeing this picture of Jesus. is in the middle, represented by the table. And we've got the concentric circles of actually the mission and the ministry to flow from the table out to the ends of the earth. Good friend, some of you guys met, called Louis. He says, I believe that we can change the world from my dinner table. That's the vision. Because of us? No. Because of him. And so, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth is more than just geographical. It is that, but it also represents different peoples. And uh, the, the ministry to which we're to go um, is essentially this. Love. We are to strengthen relationships and we are to resolve conflict. This is the call. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. This is the whole reason Jesus came to earth is to reconcile us to God and to one another. To strengthen relationships. To teach us to love God and one another. That is the mission. That is the essence of the ministry. And that's why Jesus said in answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, and this is the greatest commandment. Sorry, would you like to... Uh, I'm just going to light a candle to represent Christ and his presence because he's the light of the world. Remember, we started inviting his light important that you, in your life, you invite his light to be the light that you bear. As children of light, John says, but also as the light of the world. As Jesus says, you are the light of the world to the extent which we bear his light and that we consume his body. Did you break the bread? And that's why when we gather for communion, we break bread and we eat his body. Because he said, I'm the bread of life. Man shall not live by everything that by bread alone, <laughs> but we live by everything that comes from the mouth of God. You see, we live through connection, through relationship with God, through Christ. And this is the first and greatest commandment. This is why if we don't get this right, everything else goes to pot in life. Pot. That means something new nowadays, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm an old guy. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> The chief end of man, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, is to, um, to worship God and to enjoy him forever. Don't you like that? 
the chief end of all of us is to worship God and enjoy Him. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He loves His children. And so we're called to love the Lord as we reflect. He's our rock. He's our anchor. He's our foundation. He's our lover. He is perfect love. He's covenantal. He's committed to us. He says, don't have any other idols. Don't put anything in the place of me in your life. We've got to love the real God, though. And one of my first sermons was loving the real God. The one who is full of compassion, mercy. Because he's a reconciling God. Remember, that's the ministry that we, we bear. And we love because he first loved us. And it's the measure to which you've experienced and know the love of God that you will have anything to give in the outer circles. And God has poured out the love of the Father into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we light a candle and we break bread to remember that. That that is not just a past activity, that is a present reality. Participating in the life of God. This is the inner circle. This is the foundation. But Jesus says the second is like it, the second commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Now, we're going to spend the rest of time unpacking some of that. So, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And I think this is, what is our Jerusalem? What is the closest to us when we think of upon the earth? Yes, we have this relationship with God, but we're also called to love upon the earth. And I want to suggest to you that that is our household. That is our primary relationship in God. And for those of us who are married and enjoy the blessing of that and sometimes the challenge of that we are too, let's face it, that is our first calling to love our spouse well. If we are still single or we are single for various reasons, you know 45% of people in Port Alberni are single. Single have almost half the population. And if we in the church don't make room for the single person, I think it would break God's heart. And, and, and sometimes in the church we make so much of the family to the exclusion and sometimes even the neglect of the single person. And God's heart is especially for the widow and the orphan. They're the single people. Those are the people who are less connected. But if as a, a married person we're called a spouse, as a single person I'm called to love my family. Now, as a, as a married person I'm also called to love my family. We'll come on to that. But that would be my first calling. Now, there's actually very little in the New Testament about loving our families in terms of the nuclear family, our spouse, children. <clears throat> but there is some, we've read an aspect of it. Um, there's a lot in the Old Testament that didn't need repeating. The revelation is already there, I would suggest. And that early description of the church in the book of Acts is that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You see it in the home. It's a religion of the home. Loving our neighbour begins in the home with our spouse if we're married and our family for all. Peter says like this, live such good lives among the pagans, so those are the people who are yet to come to faith, live such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And I would suggest a part of that is, what is your household like? When a pagan comes to visit, what do they see? He suggests this, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. 
Some people believe that respect is for the husband. Paul says that. But no, relationally to respect, we all need that. And husbands are to respect wives as much as wives are to respect husbands because it's about honouring people, valuing people. But husbands respect. Uh, Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. We won't dwell on that, but it's in there. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So husbands, the manner in which you you love your spouse is of such significance to God for the sake not of just you, but her and your children and the pagans, that without it, he's not even willing to listen to your prayer. That is a challenging thing to a husband, believe you me. But again, it speaks of the significance of the home and the relationships within the home, I would suggest. Now, the Jewish religion was primarily a religion of the home, not the synagogue or the temple. In fact, we've been reflecting recently. Synagogue worship, Judaism as we recognize it, came in with the exile to Babylon in kind of 6th century BC because there was no temple now. There was no land. You see, that's where the religion, it was in the land that was given. It was in the ordinary things of life that we experienced and worshipped and celebrated God. So, in a strange land, they had to create a system. And they they became a people of the book, of Torah, rather than a people of presence, because the temple represented presence, and therefore it moved from the home to kind of the pulpit and the trained person. And unfortunately, the church picked that up. Now, one of the beautiful things about the Jewish rhythm of life would be that every, every Sabbath, Shabbat, on the eve of that, the, the family would gather. So we've got a, a wonderfully gracious and good sport family who are going to come and gather at the table. Would you like to come? Robertsons. I kind of landed just on them yesterday. So we really appreciate it. <laughs> Way to go. And you know, they would sit down on, on a, a, as soon as night begins to fall on Friday in preparation for Shabbat. And they would have a family meal together. And every week, the husband would bless his wife with words like these. Is that mic on? Sorry. A woman of valor, who can find her? Her worth is far beyond rubies. Her husband trusts in her and lacks for nothing. Her lips are full of wisdom. Her mouth with loving kindness. Her children rise and bless her. Her husband sings her praises. Many women have done well, but you surpass them all. Would that not put a smile on the face of your bride? And then the woman would respond to her husband. Who is the man who is eager for life, who hopes for long days of good fortune? He guards his tongue from speaking deceit. He turns from evil and does good. He desires peace and pursues it. Thank you. Now, those are, those are kind of formal words, but the important thing is the essence of that. Are we communicating that consistently in this most significant relationship? Hopefully, we're doing that with the Lord, but are we doing it to the, the most important human relationships for those of us who are married? Remember, that's a journey about heart. But it's significant and very important and uh, mustn't be overlooked. And we teach about these relational needs, and I would encourage you, get to know your spouse's relational needs and speak into them every week. Bless her, bless him with those. If things are not going well around the family meal table, 
believe you me, you're not going to engage very easily in these wider circles of relationships that we're called to. It is such a key relationship. Remember, it affects our relationship with God, but it, is it giving us energy to engage beyond that? It's meant to. Now it doesn't end with husband and wife. Now we get to speak to... The, so the next circle would be uh, of loving our neighbour would be for those who have them, children and grandchildren. Now, the invitation of the New Testament is that we, be, we all become fathers and mothers to spiritual children. But, for those of us with, in the nuclear, the natural children, our first call is to disciple them and to raise them to know the love of God the Father as witnessed between husband and wife, father and mother. That's why I say the best thing you can do for your children is to love your spouse well. That creates security. That models something of the love of God. Actually, in Malachi, when God says, I hate divorce, it's not because he's out for divorced people. He, he cares passionately and feels for us in our pain, but he cares for children. And I sit with so many people. Actually, most of the people I sit with are coming from broken homes nowadays. And I, and I say that not as a judgment. I say that as a bro- we should be broken over the brokenness of our families because of the impact in generation upon generation. And our call is to right that wrong, is to to bring that ship back onto course and build strong families. Not just nuclear, separated families, I believe extended families, as we will see. But our children, this is a unique call and gift that has been given to be celebrated, to be appreciated, and to be uniquely known, because our children are all different. And that's, you know, back in uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is about where the great commandment comes from, the Lord, the Lord is one, you should worship the Lord your God with all your heart. The very next invitation in the book is, now teach this to your children as you walk along the road, as you sit. In other words, in the ordinary things of life, model the love of God and the oneness, the unity of God through our unity. You know, two shall become one. It's expressing the unity of the Godhead, the unity in the household. This is why we need to pray for the brokenness in our culture and not feel condemned by that. Now, as well as speaking to each other, the the parents also got to speak to the children and bless them every week, remember, as they enter into their Sabbath rest, a reminder of who they are as a people. And they would say things like this. May God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's a parent's desire for the best for their children. That's what we're talking about. Go beyond it. Understand where you come from. You know, Jewish children, I kind of learned this recently, they're taught six generations back. They're taught to know who they're, not only their parents and their grandparents, but their great-grandparents, their great-great, and their great-great-great-grandparents. In other words, lineage is important. Where you come from, what your identity is, why you are who you are, the people and the blessing that has flown through that. And we do so little of that. And so many young people are so lost and confused and struggling to figure out who they are, and there's nothing to hang on to, because family is broken. We should be broken over that and inviting God to do something about that. And so it's a, 
So Judaism was a, a, rel- a religion for the home to be lived out and celebrated at home. God is with us here. And as Christians, we can do the same thing, I believe. We've got to learn how to celebrate, break bread, sing even, pray, read the scriptures, lay hands on our children. How we treat our children after our spouses is one of the most significant indicators of the health of our community. And it's not just for parents, it's for us as an extended community. How we treat our children out there is of utmost significance. How people offer to help in summer to give those who work every week a break is an indication of our health. That's not meant to be a manipulation. That's just meant to be an invitation. Because you know, there's a part of me, if I wasn't up here, that's where I'd want to be. Because that's our heritage. That's, that's kind of, you know, the generation. That's the church now. But that's what's going to draw others in as well. Next circle of loving relationships, because it doesn't end just with the families, as significant as that is, is that we're invited to do life with other Jesus followers around the table. Now, I wonder who would like to join you at the table. Do you have a friend? Do you want to be a friend of God? Oh, we have loved this family, and they invited us over for dinner. You know what I love about the Robertsons? Is that they bought a house that would accommodate their dining room table. That touched my that impressed me no end. Because that's a lost art. But it's, again, it's conviction. We can change the world from our dining room table. Because it's the love. You know, we sit across, we hear story, we speak to one another, we get to know one another. And this becomes from our Jerusalem to our Judea. Now, Judea was a region in the land in which Jerusalem was found, and it represented the family of one of the twelve tribes, the family of Judah, of which we sing the line of the tribe of Judah. Remember that? We were singing that earlier. And so that means this kind of an extended family. I'm actually part of this tribe that is bigger than just my family. I belong to a tribe. And, and we've got to find ways of expressing our belonging to one another. Others we can invite to the table, both single, married, believers, unbelievers, pagans, whomever, so that they can come and experience the love of God and see it modeled, to enjoy fellowship. You know, the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and the teaching of the apostles. It's very natural. It's very homey in many words. And, um, and my thought is, you know, as we continue to call one another to Christ and open our homes and our families, what kind of organic community is God going to create and build from that? that can touch others. You see, most people aren't going to come into this place. It's too alien. It's too scary. They've been too hurt in the past. Um, It's too confusing. It's a foreign language. Nobody sits in rows and sings songs and listens to people talk anymore nowadays anyway. But they do eat. This is much more accessible, particularly if they're invited and celebrated when they arrive. And, um, you know, hospitality. Do we create a place that's safe to come and be healed and be accepted and be welcomed? Uh, and be welcomed? I was reading something just this week about a, um, <coughs> a, a priest in France when questioned about why they would accept Jews who were fleeing the Nazis 
into their homes and risk being caught and killed. And his response was this, I couldn't bear to be separated from Jesus. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. The writer of Hebrews says, those who practice hospitality, they might have entertained angels, they never knew it. But Jesus is a part of the brokenness. He's there. And we never know who might come and sit around our table, to whom we get the chance to minister a message of love and reconciliation through how we love them. Thank you for your help here. I mean, you can stay for the rest, but you're free to go and sit back down as well. I know you're right in the middle. We've almost finished. (laughs) Thank you. Best seat in the house. So we're still on this track of loving our neighbor that begins with our spouse. It goes to our children. For all of us, it's our, it's our closest family and then our friends. <coughs> and then we go from Judea to Samaria. Now, Samaria represented part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And that went into exile in the 8th century, um, about 250 years before Ju- Judah, the southern kingdom. And Samaria was always known as kind of the half-caste of Israel because they mingled with other people groups. They worshipped foreign gods. They didn't seem to care about good old worship of Yahweh. And so they were always treated as kind of the outsiders. That's why it was so shocking when Jesus sat and talked with a woman from Samaria. We don't talk with those people. In fact, we hate them. That's why James and John, they wanted to call down fire from heaven. Do we get to do the Elijah ministry now? Jesus, and call down fire and destroy these wicked Samaritans. And Jesus says, you have no idea the spirit that that... And our invitation is to be attractive to, the, to, to those from Samaria, those who we see as compromising the word of God. Because God's heart is for all people. And we've got to think, how do I extend this table, fellowship, into my community? And that includes the people I work with. Interestingly, when Paul writes about um, slaves and masters, he doesn't address the slavehood thing because that was part of culture. We could spend a whole session just looking at that. But what he does invite is for slaves to love their masters and serve them as if they're serving God. That speaks to how we are with those we work for. Because it's not about that person. It's about the Lord who is with us and we are to express his ministry of strengthening relationships and resolving conflict. But it applies too for the masters towards the slaves, for the bosses towards the workers in our modern parlance. That is significant as well. And we're not to control and manipulate and threaten them, the wording says. But we are to love them and to serve them well. But all of this is about how do we take this table fellowship into the workplace, into the community, into the place of Samaria that doesn't feel like this. God knows that. So he wants to infiltrate that world with his kingdom, who are the kingdom of priests. I know it takes a while to to really land, doesn't it? Who are the kingdom of priests? A priest is a bridge builder, a reconciler between God and man. But if we're never in amongst, if we're never touching them with the love of God, If we walk away from here and we think Monday through Saturday doesn't really matter, no, that is the most powerful and important expression of what we are experiencing and celebrating here. 
both in the home and in the workplace and in the community. This is the concentric circle. This is the love flowing. But it must go this way. It must start with God. If he is not our priority, we'll get into serious trouble out there. For those of us involved heavily out there, but not in here, either with God or with our spouse and family, we get into a lot of trouble. And it's one of the saddest things that often people in ministry, clergy, pastors, families are broken more than regular people because they're so invested out in the church and the community at the expense of the most important relationships. And it should not be so. And you as church have to help us protect that priority because it flows that way. And it must flow that way. And many have fallen because of that. And too many of our children are lost because they're not experiencing this. We want to get them the truth. We want them behaving in their lives. But the important thing is if they're experiencing the love of God as witness between me and my, my, my spouse and the way that we engage them uniquely and know them and love them as they need to be known, which includes challenging them to grow in the ways of the Lord and to grow into maturity and to become a giver and a contributor themselves. But they will copy what you model to them. And if you think you're not discipling your children because the church is doing that, well, first and foremost, that is, you can't delegate that or abdicate the responsibility. That is your responsibility. And we will partner with you. But nevertheless, they will mimic you anyway. It's one of the scariest things as a, as a grown-up to be saying things my dad used to say. Oh, my word. Those words, I remember them. I never used to like them. Why am I speaking them to my own kids? Well, we mimic most behaviors learned from what we see. <laughs> and then there's the ends of the earth. Then there's the people that are just so different from us. They're not a little bit like us, but not really Christians. They are so different. They have different cultures. But you know, you don't have to go too far to meet them. In my life, well, we, we have moved, but we've largely moved within Western world. I've visited other worlds. But, uh, but even in, in our Western locations, we've met people from around the world, from every culture you can imagine, from every faith background. Uh, we did a group in, in our community on relationships and we had a gay couple come, we had a, a Hindu couple come, I've had a Buddhist be a part of that. I mean, you can touch the lives of people from every philosophical background. The question is, do they experience Christ when they're with you? Well, that's going to depend on what's happening in the inner circle. The love of God, the presence of Christ, celebrated home and flowing out from our home life. And are we inviting others to come and participate? And this is a great opportunity to minister to, like I say, 45% singles in our community. Where's the place for them? Where are they welcomed? Where are they accepted? That's our invitation. That's our call. The ends of the earth. That's the vision. That's God out the box. That's valuing what we have here, but not limiting what God wants to do to here. And the church has struggled with this. The big church, not this church. The church generally. Because we hunker down and we wait for kingdom come. And we are the called and sent people. We are called to Christ and we're immediately then sent. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathed on us and received the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's not for few, that's for all. Will we hear the call?
by the grace of God and be those who go and bear this ministry of love. Let's just be quiet. Just invite you to uh, close your eyes. Just bow before the Lord in your heart and spirit. And I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice within. The God who is in you and with you and for you. And I believe he wants to speak words of encouragement, not condemnation. Words of invitation, words of power. And I believe there are, there's maybe a, a, a one of those circles that the Lord wants to highlight to you and say, this is your next step. This is the area I'm inviting you into. This is the area that I've prepared you for since eternity past for this. You are a part of my work upon the earth, my kingdom. You are chosen. You are equipped. You're special. Because all are. Because he is. Don't doubt yourself. Don't look to yourself. Got a verse on the board in my office, from words from Jehoshaphat. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And you may not know what to do, but the Lord says, look to me. Listen to me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now come, Holy Spirit. Speak to your people, Lord. Speak to us as a community. Let us hear this call to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To know that we're deeply loved. We, can no, we cannot be more loved than we are now by you. So allow that love to impact and affect us, our families, our homes, our communities, more than it has ever done. To be, to be those who are willing to be witnesses, to give up our lives in terms of living it for ourselves and say we belong to you, Lord. Now come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, missionary spirit, sending spirit, empowering spirit. Touch our hearts today, Lord. Is anything anyone feels that the Lord's giving that might be for more than just that? A word of encouragement? A picture? A scripture? reason. I really believe that the Lord wants to encourage you that he, he said there's a rich heritage in this place. Yes, there's been struggles, but nevertheless God has found here a people after his heart, and he delights in that. And though there's been distractions, the work has never stopped, and he sees that and knows that. And there's an acceleration, I believe, that's coming. An acceleration in terms of the invitation for many to be engaged in this in all sorts of directions that, that we will get the opportunity to celebrate. I think we got a token of that last Tuesday night. We went and parted down on 4th Street and it blessed me and many to see the number of people who came from this community to give expression to care for people who were broken. That comes from the heritage in this, in this place. That comes from the deposit that God has laid up. And I believe just as he spoke to Jeremiah and said, let no one despise your youth. I think the Lord would say, let no one despise your older age. This is not done. This is not done. Why would I leave my home in my 60s to come to Port Alberni? 
and the Lord. So Lord, we say yes to you. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. You are Jesus Christ, the Lord. So we say yes to your call, Jesus. And we say, help us, O oh God. Help us in our, in our struggle. Help us when we're fearful or anxious. Would you come in like a flood, Lord? And would you empower us and embolden us? And would you help us to see the next step? Would you help us to bless our children? And let there be a thousand generation blessing of God going down into our family lines and into the lines of this community. For it is not done. It is not done. It has even hardly begun. Come Holy Spirit. Let there be a new day. heard of your saying. We stand in awe of your deeds. Now renew them in our day, O oh God. Heal the sick. Cast out the demons. Set the prisoners free. Proclaim your good news, Lord, of healing and salvation and eternal life because of the Father's love. And Lord, would you restore households? Would you strengthen and restore marriages? Would you bless adults and parents, the child, relationships? Would you build something intergenerational among us that goes beyond the nucleus, that includes many? Would you build community amongst us, Lord? Would you call us afresh to follow you, Jesus, and to walk in your ways and to renew this call upon us as a people, a priestly kingdom, together, Lord, we ask for your glory. We love you, Lord. And we sing of your goodness.